0: Albion Calling. New Albion Calling. Good evening. I'm Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb, and you are listening to the ARC Light program. In just a few minutes we have another installment of our slumber time stories. But first, it's the moment for another of our musings. This week's thoughts are courtesy of that salty old man o' the sea an inventor of the shipping forecast, Capin Frogulous Bottom Barnacles. Now, the shipping forecast is something you may not be familiar with. But imagine, if you will, that you have a ship, or indeed a boat, a canoe, a skiff, a yacht, a dinghy, etc., etc. Indeed, anything that floats upon God's good sea. Then extend your imagination into ruminations about the weather. Will it be sunny, rainy, blow up a gale, splash relentlessly all over your sorry face, and so forth? Well, this might be cause for some fretting amongst the lily-livered landlubber about when a good hour for casting off might occur. Well, here is where the shipping forecast hoves into view, setting forth a synopsis of the expected degree of each of the aforementioned climate options and allowing even the most procrastinatious of potential paddlesmiths to augur their chances with an element of accuracy previously denied all but the clairvoyant. I hope that clears that up. Anyway, here it is. ARC presents Musings of the Moment with Kevin Frobulus, Bottom Arr,
1: Ahoy there, mateys! This be the shipping forecast, as issued by the Albion Maritime Agency at 0100 hours. You join me here aboard the Light Vessel 21, in the old Albion estuary. They all pass by here, I'll have you know, king's ships, explorers, buccaneers, and they all pay attention to me on my lightship. As they set sail for the oceans beyond, they watch for my little lamp, so they do. If there's trouble in them, their waters, I light my old lamp and warn them ships of the dangers. That's been my job my whole life, and the job of my father before me and his father before him. But times are changing, me arties. Yes, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I can now be speaking direct to you and all my jolly sailor friends via the wireless radio, and I can warn you of what lurks in them there waters. So I can... It works like this, you see. Every night I go out onto the deck of my lightship with my flag and a grog and my fish entrails. And I have a good looks at them, you see, and I predict what weather is coming forth. And then I go back into my cabin and record onto this ear microphone. And it puts it on to this wax cylinder. And then when I finish recording, I takes my wax cylinder and I put it in this ear trunk And then, once a fortnight, when the skipper comes from the chandlers with my rations, I give him the trunk and he takes it back to the shore. He then sends the box two days by coach to our fair capital city, where it is broadcast to you now. Tonight's shipping forecast. Yes, you lovers should listen up, for the sea is a dangerous and treacherous place, ruled by all manner of undersea gods, enchanted nymphs and serpents. We have tried many ways to defeat these undersea creatures over the millennia. First with simple rowboats, then sailboats, even great warships lay at the bottom of the sea, as a warning not to cross the beasts of the waves. Until, one day that is, along came a man called Mr Major to lead the people of England to finally defeat the sea. He said, if we cannot cross over the water, we must tunnel underneath it. And so, the people of England set to work, tirelessly, day after night, year after year, on a mighty tunnel underneath the sea. It was the mightiest of achievements, so it was. And then, when they finally surfaced, after what seemed like an age of crawling through the darkness and the dirt and the mud, they finally emerged, blinking into the sunshine. What did they find? France. After all that work, it turns out I didn't even like it very much. Cigarettes were slightly cheaper, though. But R.E.S., you came here for a shipping forecast, didn't you? You don't want to hear about tunnels under the sea, though there are many things under the sea you should watch out for. Lost Islands is one of them. There's one just down from here, just through the estuary. The Lost Island Alone Mere, they call it. Once upon a time, they say, it was inhabited by enchanted talking animals. So it was, yes. Now, they were ruled over... By a magical elephant named Edward and they all lived happily on this island so they did until, until the men came you see and they wanted to build houses all across this island but these men they were very nice so they were they were not very nice the animals they tried to hunt them and eat them so Edward the enchanted elephant he took all the animals and Edward turned himself from an elephant into a whale so he did and he carried all the enchanted animals away. And then, using his blowhole, he squirted water all over the island, sinking it beneath the waves. You see, and there it still lurks, just below the surface in the estuary. Many a ship have been scuppered on that bit of sand, so they have. You want to watch out for it. Some say that the creatures still lurk underneath the waves, and that Edward, the whale elephant, hid them under the sea. There are many other beasts that lurk down there, too. Now, did I tell you about Algagon, the mighty earth leech, and devourer of caravans? Yes, he lurks on that island under the sea, and sometimes he emerges up onto the shore. And he sucks, sucks he does, sucks all goodness from the surrounding land, you see. Leaving nothing but barren sand and shingle all along the shoreline. Some say he can devour an entire holiday park, complete with caravans, clubhouse, outdoor shower block and children's climbing frame in a matter of hours. Now, some say that even the White Cliffs of Dover were once bright, warm rainbow of glowing colours till Algagon sucked them to the pallid white. Algagon, the mighty earth leech. Or maybe he was just the first great minimalist artist you decide, ladies and gentlemen. Ah, oh, now that's about all the shipping forecasts we have time for, ladies and gentlemen. I bid you farewell and happy sailing. Arr!
0: Well, that's certainly got me thinking. Attend your wireless again next week for another deeply profound musing. Now on the light program, it's time for Slumber Time Stories. And this week, it's the denouement of our exciting desert adventure. Will Cleanta recover her family heirloom from the pirates with Ellen's help? It's time to find out. Part 2 of La Grande Course de la Caravan by Darren Callow After a somewhat ticklish ascent on Ellen's handheld harpoon and clockwork climbing contraption to the belly of the great airship, Ellen and Clienta had discovered that the wooden panel was actually part of an unused bomb bay. They had prized it open just enough for the pair of them to crawl inside and were able to relax a little for the remainder of the bumpy journey. By turns, the airship arrived at the pirate's lair and was tethered with a reasonable amount of proficiency, low enough for the pirates to descend on rickety rope ladders. Dusk was sending its shadows over the rocky terrain now, and a brief sandstorm sent the rascals scurrying into shelter. Peering tentatively down through a narrow gap in the planks, Ellen waited until the coast was clear, then they eased the panel aside, so she could stick her head out to look around. We seem to be in some sort of giant crater, reported Ellen. Though it's hard to make it all out in this light. There are lamps lit in rooms over to the side, she continued, in subdued tones. And the warhorses are all corralled near the entrance. Any guards or sentries posted, inquired Cleanta. "'sounding very businesslike. "'None that I can see. "'Either they fear more storms, "'or they feel safe enough here not to deem them necessary. "'She pulled her head back into the gloomy bay "'to find, to her mild surprise, "'that Clienta was tugging off her skirts. "'Underneath she had a very smart-looking pair of khaki shorts, "'and strapped to her slim, wiry leg was a small holster.' with a tiny chrome pistol that was so shiny, it glinted even in the half-light. "'If the coast is still clear, perhaps you'll be kind enough to help me descend on your harpoon rope,' she inquired, seemingly now ready for a serious undertaking. "'Naturally, but don't think for one minute I'm letting you go about this alone.' Clienta seemed reluctant to allow this at first, but in the end shrugged in what Ellen took to be a moderately positive manner. It's agreed, then. With no contradiction coming, Ellen dropped the rope through the Bombay doors, and they made ready to descend. After reaching the ground, they moved with all speed to the shelter of the nearest wall of the crater, and began to take in their surroundings before working out what on earth they might do next. Sure enough, they were in a great walled circle, which had an appearance somewhere between an extinct volcano and a medieval fort. The structure was fully 300 yards across, and had probably once been some sort of settlement, or perhaps a scientific facility. The walls themselves now had the natural appearance of rock, but could possibly have been human-made originally, and just extremely weathered. Here and there, some towers, and perhaps gantries or other structures, were part submerged in the sand. But their function was obscure, and none of it made any sense to either of them. What do you think this place was? asked Ellen, her goggles now around her neck as the gloom continued to descend. Hard to say, but I'd put money on it being some sort of military camp, hissed Cleanta under her breath. I think you are right. Those war mechs and the pirates' uniforms are straight out of the history books. Indeed, Ellen had even trained on similar models as the cadets never got the latest kit. Moving carefully so as to not make a sound, they edged up to the window of the lamp-lit room and cautiously peered in. Inside, the pirates, women, men, And even a few children were making merry, laughing and drinking, no doubt reveling in a successful raid on the caravan. They appeared entirely oblivious to the two young stowaways, and seemed to be totally off their guard. Clearly, they were not worried about anything interrupting their merriment. "'I see my bag!' hissed Cleanta as quietly as she could, given this exciting discovery." ''But it looks discarded, empty. The contents must be stowed elsewhere.'' ''We need to get in and take a look,'' suggested Ellen, leaning in close to her so they could conspire quietly. ''And thinking we need some sort of diversion. Any ideas?'' Ellen was rarely short of an idea or two, and glancing around at the iron horses and airship, a cunning albatross of a plan, started to unfurl its wings before her. I imagine that the loss of their airship and mechanoids will get their attention, don't you think? She winked at Kleanta, feeling adrenaline surge through her body. Without doubt, grinned Cleanta back, what do we do? In hushed tones, Ellen outlined the plan at length and when she was confident that Cleanta understood her part, and they had checked the pirates were still unaware of their presence, they moved to make it so. Splitting up and keeping low, Ellen moved towards the six iron horses, whilst Cleanta hustled with speed towards the airship. Working with the discipline and wits that had always been her way, Ellen moved first to the horse on the far right, and taking a spare harpoon from her satchel, she jammed it into a joint in the right-hand front leg. Then she quickly gathered up any rocks or heavy material she could find and crammed the panniers on the same side as full as she could. By the time this had been completed, Cleanta came up, glistening with sweat, hauling the tether rope still attached to the airship behind her with silent signals and the odd whisper. They tied the airship to the leftmost horse, and then Ellen set about showing her sister-in-arms how to prime the steam engines. She was pleased to find that, despite their generally laconic air, the pirates had left the fireboxes alight and very little needed to be done to get them going. When all was prepared as best they could, They met again by the middle horses. Right, three horses each. Start them and send them going. Then raise the alarm in the dialect you used on the train and dive for the shadows when all hell breaks out. The nerves were really kicking in now and Ellen began to shake a little as they started each horse in turn and sent them clanking off out into the desert wastes. Ellen expected to see the pirates come charging out at the first sound, but it soon became apparent that even Cleanta, screaming blue murder from the side of the cavern, brought nary a single soul out to see what was occurring. By this time, the horses were beginning to gather speed and towing the airship along with them, trotting out into the gloom. Despairing slightly that their diversion was not really yielding the desired effect, the two tried yelling again at the top of their voices, but still nothing. Finally, in frantic desperation, Klienta took up a rock and hurled it through the nearest window before ducking urgently back into the shadows. This finally had the required outcome and, somewhat drunk, and in total disarray, the pirates came stumbling out to see what all the commotion was. In utter and complete confusion, they spotted their disappearing machines and charged after them, waving half-empty bottles and cutlasses alike, and screaming base profanities in all directions. Without a further word or glance between them, Ellen and Cleanta, peered carefully into the now-deserted mess hall and then ducked inside. As Ellen kept a careful watch, Klienta searched with surprising discipline and efficiency, but found absolutely, precisely, bugger all. "'It's not here! We need to look in the other rooms!' she hissed as Ellen nodded in agreement. "'Split up, or together!' she inquired with urgency. Together, I think. Lead on. And with that, Ellen moved to the only other doorway, hauled it open, and gave a sudden yelp of surprise. Behind the door, looking only slightly bemused by the whole situation, was a dark-skinned girl of about ten, who seemed quite taken by the exotically pale blonde woman confronting her, Selecting diplomacy over brute force, Ellen blurted out, ''Oh, hello there.''
1: ''Hello,''
0: replied the child, rather nonplussed. ''I'm Ellen. Who are you?'' ''Simone, I'm nine, replied the girl in perfect English, staring at Ellen with wide brown eyes. ''Oh, right, that's very good,'' responded Ellen, holding out an arm to reassure Kleanta, who had started to advance, pistol in hand behind her. And this is Cleanta. Uh, we're just looking for something of hers. Uh, that's all, really. Uh, then we'll toddle off. The child considered this for a second or two, tipping her head to one side to help her thought processes, such as they were. Then, after a while, she chirped... "'Well, it's probably in the think. And with not a syllable more, she turned on her heels and skipped off down the corridor. Shrugging to each other, the two adventurers followed cautiously but quickly, lest the girl think better of helping them. And by turns they came to a room with a heavy barred door that looked much like a vault. Fortunately, the door was not locked, and they all went inside to find the sink.' which was, in fact, a large hole in the floor, filled with glinting treasure. However, their luck ran out, as the grill and the ladder for accessing it were both securely locked. The only other thing in the room was a large copper-ringed water tank, with heavy lead pipes leading off into the wall. "'Don't suppose you have a key for this?' inquired Cleanta, thinking it worth the question at least. At the same time, she peered down into the pit, where a miscellaneous array of items appeared been thrown, both willy and, indeed, Nilly. The girl shook her head and shrugged, and this was taken to be a negative response in relation to the key inquiry. Despite this, Cleanta pointed excitedly into the pit. I see it! she exclaimed. It's there! We just need a way to get it out! When I grow up, I'm going to be a sailor, ventured the girl, randomly. Oh, right, offered Ellen, looking only slightly flummoxed at this potential career choice, but somehow it triggered a thought in her. Clienta, would you wager your heirloom is heavier or lighter than water? She called out to her lithe friend, who was trying in vain to reach down through the grill. Yeah, uh, "'Lighter, I guess. It's kind of like a valve.' "'Result!' exclaimed Ellen. And putting aside nagging thoughts as to why a family heirloom might be kind of like a valve, she winked at the still slightly dopey-looking girl. "'Give us a hand then, Squirt!' And with that she proceeded, with the girl's help, to usher Cleanta out of the way and woman-handle the overflow pipe from the water tank into the hole. Turning the tap, she then started to pour water in. Cleanta gave her a big smile. Ah, now that's a good idea. We'll float it out. Exactly, confirmed Ellen, although the hole must have been very deep, as it was taking quite a long while to fill up with water and it could only be a matter of time before they might be discovered by someone more anxious to stop them than their laconic child companion. To pass the anxious moments, she decided to quiz the girl, who was still seemingly not in the least bit bothered by all the evening's goings-on. So tell me, Simone, what is this place exactly? Well, I'm not really supposed to say, muttered the girl, somewhat diffidently but decided to say anyway. Mummy says it's top secret. Apparently, some people used to pay us to guard it. You know, scare people off and stuff. I see, mused Ellen, rubbing her ample chin. Don't suppose you know who those some people might be? The girl shrugged again, seemingly her favourite gesture. Thought not but presumably they supplied all these uniforms, weapons, and machines. The girl nodded her affirmation of the hypothesis. Then we have a pretty big clue, I think. Clienta was still stretching to reach her object, but she nodded that she was thinking the very same thing. You say these people used to pay you, so what happened? The girl shrugged one more time, but this time there were accompanying words. Mummy said the money just stopped coming. This was ages ago, way before I was born. Since then, Mummy just takes stuff off people. Like the great caravan race, chipped in Cleanta. The what? asked the girl, looking somewhat on the confused side of totally ignorant. Never you mind, I've got it! And with that, Cleanta stood up and held up the dripping object, which did indeed resemble a small diode valve, and looked exactly nothing at all like a piece of jewellery or similar heirloom. "'What's the plan now?' she asked. But there was not a nanosecond for Ellen to respond to this before, with a large crash and a yell, a giant figure burst into the room. "'What is the meaning of all this?' yelled the Pirate Queen." Resplendent in a mixture of native costume, Albion General's tunic, and customised body armour. A great feathered headdress on her head, and now slightly smeared war paint, still adorning her face. Her eyes bulged with fierce anger, and possibly excessive alcohol, and in her hand was a vicious-looking sabre. Abandon plan! was all that Ellen could offer. But Cleanta moved with great speed to grab the child and put her pistol to her head. Stand back, or I will not be responsible for my actions. What? shrieked the pirate queen ferociously. But it soon became apparent she would not attack them whilst they had the, still not particularly bothered, child as hostage. Sorry about all this? whispered Ellen to Simone but true to form, the girl simply shrugged. Still blazing fury from every pore, the pirate queen was forced to move to one side as first Ellen and then Cleanta with the girl in tow squeezed past her apologetically and out into the corridor. Safely extracted, they quickly bolted the hefty door and released the girl, who still seemed to be taking it all in her stride. Ellen reached into her pocket for a shilling and tossed it to her, as there came a great hammering on the oak door behind them.
1: "'Give
0: us about ten minutes, if you'd be so kind. Then let her out.' "'Tjör,' shrugged the girl compliantly, but our heroines were already well down the corridor. "'Oh, and good luck with the whole sailor thing,' added Ellen encouragingly. "'But by now they were out of the door and into the mess hall.' so if there was anything other than continued indifference in reply, they did not hear it. Curious, girl, muttered Cleanta, as they made their way out into the dark and towards the gap in the crater where the horses had been tethered. There was no immediate sign of the other pirates, and it seemed like they were still aimlessly pursuing their vehicles somewhere out in the night. So far, so good. What now? Well, said Ellen, straining her eyes to see through the dark, I might have something up my sleeve. She began to head to the right, still squinting to see in the darkness. Um, what might that be then? Ah, you'll see, she said semi-confidently, and then added, hopefully, under her breath. With this, she started to run further out across the scree, in the vague direction of a curious rumbling sound. Kleanta followed her closely, not wanting to lose her in the dark, before this mysterious plan had been unveiled. What am I supposed to be? Kleanta's voice tailed off, as charging towards them through the gloom came a great lumbering metal machine, kicking sand in all directions. Run! yelled Ellen urgently, flashing back past her, and Cleanta quickly turned tail and galloped at full speed in pursuit. Before she could shout further inquiries, though, the iron warhorse was practically on top of them. Ellen matched its speed as near as she could and grabbed desperately at the harness as the horse continued to clump onwards in a wide circle. The leather straps slipped tantalizingly through her fingers, and she bashed her arm against the metal boiler, making it go numb. Before she could yell or feel anything in the way of pain, with astonishing speed, the lithe body of Cleanta was around her, grabbing the straps and hauling them up onto the first step of the loading ladder. This smart and speedy move confirmed what Ellen felt she already knew that this girl was no travelling waif, but clearly a highly trained operative of some sort. Working together almost as one body, they scrambled up the boiler and onto the seating area on top. Ellen kicked the harpoon out of the disabled front leg and quickly jettisoned the panniers. With this, the horse corrected its lopsided course and began to run straight again. Ahead of them, they suddenly saw the furious and clearly extremely agitated form of the Pirate Queen. A gleaming vibro cutlass in one hand and a great brass blunderbuss in the other, blocking their way and screaming hideous oaths into the desert air. That was never ten minutes, moaned Ellen. But despite frantic attempts to change course, they were still heading straight for their nemesis, who levelled the flintlock and fired a screaming volley of buckshot towards them? The Iron Warhorse could cope with such trifles, and the shot bounced and ricocheted off in all directions. Unluckily, a piece of shrapnel caught Ellen's still numb arm, and she nearly lost her seating as blood began to stain her sleeve. Cleanta grabbed her other arm and tugged her back upright. As the Iron Horse galloped just past the Pirate Queen, who first hurled the empty blunderbuss at them and then reached out and grabbed Cleanta's leg. With blood curdling screams and yells from all, and with Ellen and Cleanta holding on for dear life, they did their best to kick Cleanta's leg free. Just as they thought they would be pulled down onto the sand, the Pirate Queen lost her grip and fell with a heavy thud onto the ground. All the while, the horse continued its relentless galloping, and it seemed with one final ear-bursting yell, ringing out into the pitch-black night, she had finally given up the pursuit. Seriously though, mumbled Ellen, now half in shock. That really was never 10 minutes. Gathering their composure, and locating the compass on the mechanoid's brass dashboard, Ellen grabbed the steering levers and hauled them to make the horse change course and take them away from the pirate base. For a while she ran at an angle to their preferred direction, just until they were definitely out of visual and audible range. Then she slowed the engine to a lower level to save fuel, and corrected their course back towards where she estimated that the stricken caravan would still be beached. When they felt confident they had made good their escape, and had recovered their breath, our two adventurers shared a long hug, and then Cleanta patched up Ellen's wounded arm as best she could. "'That was quite some work, making the horse run in a great circle to come back to us,' complimented Cleanta, scarcely able to believe it had actually worked. "'We'll make a king's agent of you yet!' "'Which is, of course, what you are,' muttered Ellen, feeling very drained. "'Got me there,' replied Cleander, bobbing slightly with the motion of the giant ironclad. "'And I'm sure you've guessed that what I was carrying is no family heirloom.' "'Indeed. Do you know what it is exactly?' inquired Ellen, feeling drowsy but vindicated. "'Not a clue.' But if I had to guess, given its size and construction, it's not a human artifact. Ellen felt a shiver go down her spine. The Martian War was ancient history now, and most people had blocked the thought of it from their minds. It was a rude awakening to be reminded of that awful time. She shook her head to try and throw the dark thoughts off but another nagging idea was worming its way into her brain. Do you think that pirate outpost had something to do with the war, too? I wouldn't bet against it, offered Cleanta. It looked old enough to be something that was abandoned around that time. I guess we'll never know, though. If it was, it will be highly classified. Ellen nodded, knowing this to be true but couldn't help speculating to herself what an old Albion installation was doing all that way out in the desert. Troubled by these thoughts, but comforted by Cleanta's strong, wiry arms around her, she eventually drifted off into an uneasy slumber. Fortunately, she had done her work well, so they would eventually see the lights of their caravan glinting in the distance. It was after nearly two hours of travelling that they arrived at the wrecked sand hauler and the battered caravan of the somewhat slightly less elevated holy transport of the desert god Aganta, the mighty saviour of all peoples and animals. The crew were either too busy arguing with each other or fast asleep to even notice their approach. Gathering up the last of her energy, Ellen slowed the mighty iron horse and brought it to a halt near the still well and truly mangled steam engine. A further plan had formed during their journey, and with Cleanta's rough translation and some seemingly obligatory mad arm-waving, they convinced the captain that despite its venerable age, the war horse had more than enough torque to haul the passenger carriages onwards whilst leaving the engineers and their workshop wagons to their repairs. In addition to this, they also managed to convince her that the pirates were probably either still frantically chasing their vehicles through the desert, or sleeping off a hangover somewhere, and were very unlikely to be bothering them any time soon. And so it was that as dawn broke, following careful instruction from Ellen, Cleanta, and one of the less demonstrative engineers piloted the warhorse with half the carriages tethered behind, onwards towards the far westerly Nubian coast. Ellen herself was propped up in the least damaged passenger car, drifting slowly in and out of sleep with the bumpy motion. Her arm freshly bandaged from the wonderfully well-stocked medical car. Ellen's fatigued mind was now swirling with thoughts of Martians, abandoned forts in the desert, and beautiful dusky girls that turned out to be secret agents. And although she couldn't help feeling some dread at what it all meant, at least she consoled herself. She could now tell everyone that she had, in somewhat unorthodox fashion, completed the greatest race on earth. Well, that was a grand adventure indeed. I very much hope you enjoyed it. I'm already looking forward to your company next week when we bring you another rip-roaring adventure. For now, this is Theodore pilkington Rhubarb signing off. Good night, New Orleans. I wish you dreams of a bright future. All characters and stories are copyrighted too and performed by Darren Caller. With the exception of Cap'n Frogulous Bottom Barnacles, which was written and performed by Frog Morris. All music by Charlotte Savica. Tales of New Albion is available to buy from Amazon online stores or via Bandcamp, where the album is also available. For more information, go to www.talesofnewalbion.com or search for Tales of New Albion on Facebook. Tales of New Albion is a Monkey Teaspoon production, of Albion Radiophonic Corporation. she called out to her live thr- she called out to her live th- live. live live friend